So we've, we've had a conversation with a telecom provider in Pakistan. All of their telecoms towers, uh, or most of them, are diesel generator powered. And they have 35,000 towers. They would see, if we could place turbines on those telecoms towers, they would see a return on investment, not in the reduction of diesel, which they would have, but in the reduction of the transportation of diesel to the sites. Welcome to Afnet Silica's We Talk IoT. We'll chat with innovators, experts, and business owners to learn how they are implementing IoT and using data to create new business opportunities. I am your host, Stephanie Ruth Hader. Hold on to your hats. In today's episode, we are talking about one of the fastest growing sources of renewable energy, wind energy. Did you know that a single wind turbine has the potential to generate enough electricity to power more than 2,000 homes? I am really excited to welcome Barry Thompson, CEO of Alpha 311 today. In this episode, we will be exploring how cutting-edge technologies, strategies and the role of IoT are redefining the sector. We will also cover uh, ecological benefits of wind power, talk about some success stories and dare to peek into the future. Welcome to the show, Barry. I'm really happy to have you here. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Why don't you kick us off with a short introduction about yourself and your company? Well, Alpha 311 is a small wind turbine company. By that, we don't mean we're a small company. We are <laughs> at the moment. But we manufacture small wind turbines that are designed to fit on lighting columns in the central reservation or median of the highway. So we are trying to generate energy from traffic. Uh, the company's been going for four and a half years. Myself and founder John Sanderson came up with the idea as one of those conversations in the car while driving along. What if? And from asking ourselves, what if, we then got down to how could we? So it's been interesting. I mm. would not advise starting a company just before a pandemic. Okay. Mm-hmm. Noted. <laughs> the, the challenges that that brought. And then, of course, the more recent challenges with the situation in Eastern Europe and cost of living crisis. It, it, it's, been, it's been tough, but we're moving ahead. Super exciting. Why wind? Well, at the time, our local authority was having uh, funding challenges. And one of the things they were doing to uh, reduce their spend was they were looking and investigating turning off streetlights at night. You tend to need streetlights at night, which is hmm. why they only shine at night. And it was it was just as we were in the car and following uh, a huge heavy goods vehicle, and you can see the air that's being displaced in in the mm -hmm. in the trees and the bushes by the sides of the road. So it's all wasted energy, and it, it just came from that. You know, can you harness that that energy uh, from a passing vehicle? We worked with uh, a fantastic scientist out of uh, Leeds University, uh, Dr. Young, and effectively we were able to find out that if you were to put a wind turbine in the middle of the road not only do you have traffic passing it on one side which causes the turbine to rotate but you have it 
coming on the opposite side, which makes it rotate faster. Mm -hmm. If you can double the wind speed impacting a turbine, there's up to eight times more volume of air that can be converted into energy. Incredible. So it made sense. Mm -hmm. We have a structure that is already connected to the grid. So a streetlight is connected to a very large cable underground, distribution cabinet, substations. All of your infrastructure is in place. You're not blighting the landscape. You've mm -hmm. already done that with the road. We don't need <laughs> a huge um, eight, 85 meter tall turbine uh, in the middle of a field and ruining the view. Uh, so we've already we've already done that with the road. But then, if there's no wind, the vehicles are generating the energy. And if you can generate energy locally, and this lends itself to decentralized grid infrastructure. But if you can reduce the transmission distance that you send the energy, so you're generating it where it's going to be used, it's a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. I think this is so clever to, to use something like a waste product, like wind that is generated by a car dr driving past really fast and then turning it into something useful and powering a street lamp or feeding energy back into a grid. Since we are an audio podcast, not a video podcast, maybe some of our listeners will think big rotor blades blocking the highway or something. Can you describe a little bit what makes your wind turbine yeah. special, how they sure. look? and Yeah, yeah so we, we initially had hoped that our, so our turbine, turbine is a vertical axis wind turbine. Um, it looks a little like a cage with uh, six blades. And originally we were going to put the lighting column right through the middle of it. Mm -hmm. The downside there is that you need to take the header unit or the, the light off to put the turbine in. And then you've got to put the light back on and reconnect it. And if you want to do maintenance, you've got to repeat the process again. So it's timely and not cost effective. So we've come up with a bracketry, which means that we can actually mount the turbine onto any size of streetlight. You get mm -hmm. really big, tall, thick ones, and you get much smaller ones. We worked with a Dutch lighting column company to do all the load analysis. They actually put heavier hanging baskets on their lighting columns than our turbine. So it's designed so that we can get both the benefit of the lift and drag aspect of a turbine. Vertical axis turbines are great because they're always pointing into the wind but there's always an element of the rotation that is going into the incoming airflow. We have that benefit because it's on both sides. Best way to see it probably in a couple of weeks is when we show everybody what the new turbine looks like. But it's uh, two meters tall. It's a meter wide, so it still fits inside that central reservation or the median of the highway. Inside the crash barriers, so nobody can clip it as they go past. Five miles of road will take 181 lighting columns. So that's a very narrow or a very short distance, but you've then got multiple energy generation units all connected to that same cabling. Mm -hmm. That's that's clever. And how does your technology fit into the larger renewable energy landscape? You had already mentioned that you make use of the lamps already being connected to the grid. Yes. So you're you're putting energy into the local grid infrastructure. You can even put it into battery. 
for storage uh, quite easily. So you, you could end up with a, a circular economy of energy. So vehicles driving past are turning the turbines, which can then go into energy into battery storage, which then can be used to power electric vehicles, and you can repeat the process. Okay. And when you say a five-mile stretch of highway yep. and 180 lamps, what would be the energy outcome? I'm just gonna, I am just going to do the math. Sure. 1.8 megawatt hours per day. Okay. And what would that be equivalent to? Oh, uh, so your average uh, UK home uses around um, eight kilowatt hours. So you're powering uh, just over a thousand homes per day. With a tiny two meter wind turbine. Yes. Wow. That is really cool. And uh, that already is um, a part of the answer to my next question. What are the environmental benefits of your wind turbines? Uh, well, there's multiple. Um, the turbines themselves will last 30 years. They're made of a carbon composite, and we're looking at other more natural pro products, such as flax, that as a potential material to use, reducing our own carbon footprint, but also means that the turbines can be recycled. But we can recycle the carbon composite at the end of their life and use that to make the cowling that we, we have on the top and the bottom of our turbine. You're not digging up 90 miles of fields, etc., to put more cabling in because we're using what's already there. It's not just about lowering cost. It's about lowering the impact on the local environment. But these turbines can also be put on buildings. It's the same turbine, just different mounting. And again, we're looking at utilizing the existing infrastructure. To give you an example, a solar farm has a grid interconnect mm -hmm. that they don't use at night. So you could put the same turbines next to a solar array and utilize that or get the most out of that land from an energy generation perspective. Mm -hmm. In the same vein, we would look to utilize the turbines on commercial buildings so they're behind the meter. Again, you're mounting onto an existing infrastructure. You're connecting into local battery storage and to local LV panels. So in the same way that you would do with solar, it's just that you're getting that overnight benefit as well. Cool. What are some of the challenges you are facing at the moment? I think probably one of the biggest is addressing the, the highways aspect. To give you an example, If we were to do 100 turbines on a road, we need to be able to remotely stop all those turbines from generating energy should a vehicle go through the crash barrier, take out a lighting column. Normally, the power is shut off from the distribution cabinet, which means that there's no electricity in the cable, but we would still be generating electricity and putting it back through that cable. So we need to be able to turn that off. Um, there's the usual challenge that every startup has, scaling, funding. But scaling is probably going to be biggest challenge just because the sheer demand that we're seeing for the product and we haven't mm -hmm. really released the product yet or done any marketing. Oh, wow. I, I don't think we're going to have a, a customer problem. Uh, our yeah. CRM's got over 5,000 entries in it. Just people coming to us and asking for turbines and not just 
residential, which is quite obvious. People want to save money and generate their own energy, but some huge corporates and governments from around the world. Yeah, there's a huge potential in it, especially when it's yeah so simple and clever. And I also imagine that with the big wind turbines, at least in the part of Europe where I live in, we always get uh, also some some neighbors or residents complaining. We are of the opinion that people should, should see a direct benefit from having renewable energy projects near to their homes. So if if someone's going to put solar farm next to my house, why don't I get cheaper energy? Mm -hmm. So if there was a benefit, and that is the benefit, that your energy bills are reduced, people are more inclined to support the rollout of renewable energy projects. Mm. Obviously, if you put a solar farm in, you're only going to get that reduced energy bill, hopefully, during daylight hours. So you want to continue that you know, throughout the night. If we're having a situation whereby our local areas or our view, or if we look out to sea from the beach and it's just a, a wash with wind turbines, then people want to see what's in it, what's in it for me mm. rather than not in my backyard. Yeah. But it comes down to profit. Always. We will take a short break. Stay with us. We will be hearing from our guests very shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Afnet Silica, the engineers of evolution. We help you bring secure, intelligent and connected products to market. If you want to learn more about us, we have put information and links in this episode show notes. And you can also connect with us on LinkedIn or avnet-silica.com. That's A-V-N-E-T-S-I-L-I-C-A.com. What would your suggestion be to, to governments or infrastructure providers to how to yeah, sell this argument? I think with energy prices being what they are, I don't think we will ever see lower cost of energy for having renewable projects on our doorsteps. Mm -hmm. It's too much profit to be made. We should see direct correlation. If I have a, a solar farm, a wind farm, or a nuclear power plant, then I should see the, I should see the benefit. As a resident, I should see a direct benefit, and that should be in the form of reduced energy costs. We need to see more of that, and community-generated energy is probably one of the biggest aspects. But so is a change, especially in the UK, to localised energy pricing. Okay. So if I lived in Scotland, where most of our wind farms are, then I should see the price of energy in my area much lower than, say, around London, mm -hmm. where there aren't as many renewable energy projects. And that, and that would be a fair representation. What is the common myth about wind energy? So th this, this, will, this will upset people. Wind energy is always advertised as the maximum possible generation. So if I have a megawatt turbine, it means the generator, if it was running at 100% efficiency, at 100% of the time, will be able to produce a megawatt of energy. But it can't because it won't run 100% of the time. It won't run at 100% capacity. It will 
have a capacity figure. Mm-hmm. And people get too hung up on the fact that a wind turbine can generate at its maximum, whereas we should be more realistic. Everything has inefficiencies. There's an inefficiency from going from DC current to AC current. So you're inverting it, you're losing energy at that point. So let's stop saying the maximum generation and look at how the maximum that you would get out of it in the real world. And that goes the same for solar and the same for wind. But we need to be very open and honest about our capabilities. So I think that's the biggest myth about wind. Unfortunately, it also tends to be blowing mostly over nighttime when we're all asleep and the businesses are not actually working. So a huge advocate for battery storage. We should be storing as much energy as possible that we generate uh, overnight. Can you share some more use cases or success stories? You have mentioned the wind turbines along the highway, on the street lamps, um, yep. community projects. You can put them on buildings. What other use cases are there you could share? Uh, so we're looking... We've got a couple of MOUs that we've signed. One is looking at putting wind turbines onto uh, gas stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we're talking with an Italian company uh, to do uh, exactly that. And the idea here is combined with solar and electricity you and, sorry, and wind, you can utilize that energy to reduce the refrigeration costs. Gas stations have a lot of refrigerators. Mm -hmm. But also you can use that energy and put it into battery storage and charge electric vehicles. So you're now starting to uh, prepare your business for the energy charging infrastructure. Because some of these gas stations are in the middle of nowhere. So getting a grid interconnect or a connection to the grid to them that would be able to service that amount Could be it could be a little bit difficult, so this will go some way to helping that. So you have uh, petrol stations, you have telecoms towers. Now we have a bracket that we can place a turbine onto a streetlight. The same bracket can be modified to, to fit onto a telecoms tower. We have a lot of telecoms towers, and we don't need to put a turbine right at the very top of it, which could potentially endanger the equipment below it. Mm-hmm. You can put the turbine below it. I, I did an analysis for uh, Deutsche Telekom about a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I think we were looking at somewhere in the region of uh, 460,000 potential telecoms towers. And that was just Deutsche Telekom. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've had a conversation with a telecom provider in Pakistan. All of their telecoms towers, uh, or most of them, are diesel generator powered. And they have 35,000 towers. They would see, if we could place turbines on those telecoms towers, they would see a return on investment, not in the reduction of diesel, Mm -hmm. which they would have, but in the reduction of the transportation of diesel to the sites. Incredible. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you start to see these benefits trickle down. And it's all the way down to the fact you just don't have as many trucks driving around refilling diesel tanks. Ideally, we would want to see our turbines cheap enough, mass-produced, and being able to aid developing nations with this skip from uh, from coal and kerosene. I think 
there was uh, analysis by the United Nations that said over four and a half million people in the world don't have direct access to uh, regular electricity and certainly not renewable. Mm-hmm. They are completely reliant on coal and kerosene for their heating and their uh, any electricity that's been generated. So if us in the Western world are driving ourselves to net zero, over half the planet can't. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to be able to address that. So we're hoping that we, we will be uh, a small part of that, or we have a small part to play. That'd be really good to see. And I imagine with all the different use cases and all the different scenarios you can put your wind turbines in, can you discuss the role of IoT and how it in, would enhance your wind turbines even further? Yes. We, we look at IoT from two standpoints. One is preventative maintenance. So we need to know uh, every turbine is metered. So we need to know how much energy is being produced, how much of that is going into the grid, and how much is being used to power the streetlight, as an example. That helps us determine how much energy the streetlight hasn't used from the grid, which lowers the cost to the council. That's that's number one. But we're in, yeah, we want to uh, make sure there's we don't have too much vibration. We're monitoring the uh, heat and the temperature and humidity within inside the turbine as well. And we want to be able to prevent or fix problems as they happen. So nice and quick. Uh, the great design of our turbine is because it's on this cantilever bracket, we can unclip the top and bottom of it, take the turbine out, put a new turbine in, and it can go away to be refurbished and it will re-enter the pool. So that data is is incredibly important to us. But then you're putting turbines into built-up areas or on roads, and there's a wealth of information that we're looking to capture. Environmentals, obviously, is it raining, temperature outside? But we want to look at air quality. Mm-hmm. Air quality around roads tends to be pretty poor. But we want to be able to capture that more than twice a year, which tends to be the UK standard. We'd like to be able to monitor the road vibrations, the traffic flow information. Mm-hmm. If we have that information and we have the environmentals, we know the road surface state. We know if it's raining. We know if it's icy. We know how fast the traffic is moving, but also the gaps in between the vehicles. That information will give you a likelihood or a risk profile for the road. How likely is it that that road will have an accident? Mm -hmm. From an insurance point of view, that's important. If you live in that area or we move to a insure-as-you-drive model, then depending on those variables, your insurance might go up or it might come down depending on the time of day that you're driving and and the road surface, et cetera. So that, from an insurance point of view, is very valuable information. But from a local authority point of view, the same information can be used to maintain the road more efficiently. Mm-hmm. They know that the road surface is breaking down, so potholes are formed, et cetera, because the vibration levels have gone up. They can use less material, less man-hours, the roads close for less time, all saving money. So in one element, you'll, you have a, a risk index for insurance companies, but the same data can then be used for preventative maintenance within the local authorities. So it has uh, multiple aspects for, for the use of IoT. That's really exciting. 
what we want to be doing is we want to be making a difference and that's how people see the benefit locally. We want local communities to embrace renewable energy projects, not just ours, but solar and biomass, heat pumps, etc. Because if we as a whole embrace, we then we have uh, an opportunity to lower the, the costs for ourselves. What we are trying to do with local authorities is give them something extra. We hold little value to the electricity. We, we hold more value towards the data. So from a local authority point of view, we want you to have that revenue stream. Mm-hmm. We want to generate energy as much as we can into the local grid infrastructure, which the local suppliers can buy directly from the authority. So now they have a revenue stream they never had before. Mm-hmm. If they're having a revenue stream, they can then pay for uh, insulation for social housing, which helps lower people's energy bills. And that then helps the poorest in our communities to use less energy. So there's, there's this massive benefit of doing the right thing in local communities. So you have been using data to improve on your wind turbine We did. We we got a lot of information from the turbines we installed at the O2, uh, especially when Storm Eunice came through and tore a huge hole into the O2 arena. We have three turbines that were based uh, to the rear of the dome next to the river. But we were able to see that we had inefficiencies with those turbines, even though it was 87 miles an hour. And we were able to take that information, data, and put it into the computational fluid dynamics with an amazing company in uh, Nottingham, uh, Navy Systems. And they were able to then help us with the design of the blades and the size of the turbine, etc. So the new turbine is based entirely off of the data that we were able to get from the O2 Arena. What are your plans for Alpha 311? What is next on your agenda? You said you will be launching the product soon. Yeah, so we haven't shown anybody the new the new turbine design. Everybody's seen the ones that we put on Neo 2 and we learned so much from that. But that information was able to go into computational fluid dynamics, which then helped us produce the turbine that we have now. And the engineering teams have, and the, the companies that we work with have been absolutely amazing. The key for us now is to start getting that into manufacture. So we've got some, uh, a few bits more testing still to do. But we should be ready to start deploying the turbines by the end of the year, beginning of 2024. And then it's going to be scale. When you have a government come to you and say, can you put turbines on this road and it's 380 miles long, then we need that at the cheapest possible price to have the biggest amount of uh, impact. And we'll only do that at scale. I am really excited to see it live in action, hopefully someday soon. Thank you so much, Barry, for joining me today. It was really great having you and all the best. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure. This was Avnet Silica's We Talk IoT. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. Talk to you soon.